Hey, DPB gang, what's going on? Thanks for joining me for episode 147 of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Cirillo. I hope you're having the best day, week, month ever. In this episode, you'll hear from my friend Martin Herbst, the general manager of Gumtree.com.au. Now, Martin and I hit it off when I visited Australia a couple months ago, and it was an absolute pleasure getting to know him, hearing from him, and learning from him. Now, before we dive in, if you're not already following The Dealer Playbook on Facebook or Instagram, let's connect. And if you haven't already subscribed to the show, hit that subscribe button so you're notified when new episodes hit the airwaves. All right, now let's move on to my conversation with Martin Herbst. Here we go. Man, thanks so much for joining me on The DPV. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot, Michael. Um, and I'm serious, man. Set the bar high with a cool, one of the coolest dudes. <laughs> coolest dudes, man. We're going to have a breakdance <laughs> battle one of these days just to, to some dubstep. I'm all over it. <laughs> I know. You, you strike me as a breakdancer, so, you know. I broke out some moves in front of my kids just a few days ago. They were like, what are you doing? <laughs> it was like the, the, the running man. It was like New Kids on the Block era. <laughs> running man and and uh i don't know the names of any of the moves as you can I tell you i got one move i got one move and i don't know if i know even like what's called anymore it's another one you like you the the, the <laughs> uh, coffee grinder i think it's the coffee grinder i have maybe no idea next time next there. time i'm with you you're gonna have to show me the coffee grinder. maybe i'll <laughs> i'll hit the drum set right there in the gum tree office and you'll have to demonstrate the coffee grinder so, sounds good. <laughs> okay, so um, you, you know uh, those listening know that I, I mean a couple weeks ago um, at time of recording this, I was in Australia. You guys were uh, gracious to invite me down there for the Double ADA conference. You had a session there. The subject matter was really cool. It was all about disruption, and I know these days disruption's kind of uh, but it's going to be the next buzzword. You know, we had SEO, we had content marketing, we had inbound marketing, and now everybody's talking disruption and getting their panties in a twist, and they're all you know worried about what's happening next. And we talked about that, but we you know as you and I had kind of discussed that session uh, at that conference, we 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 kind of ultimately decided to take a different approach to kind of demystify everything that's going on. And you started, I remember this, you started um, the presentation by basically saying, I made a mistake. And immediately everyone was like, <clears throat> you know, like what, what? And, and so you went on from there, but I mean, let me, let me turn this to you. Why, why is that how you chose to start? Why, why start with, I made a mistake? Yeah. Well, I think you know, the overall theme was around uh, disruption. Right. So in some ways, I wanted to just disrupt the normal flow of these sessions, right? Because, you know, I'm representing a brand down there. I'm representing a, a vendor in the space, you know, the Gumtree Australia, which is like the Kijiji um, there in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the last thing or the worst thing to come in to do is, is to come in and say, hey, here's how great we are. Here's what you need to do. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so, and, and, you know, I think that also fit well with, you know, your overall, um, approach to things. So what we, you know, what we've tried to do at Gumtree, and I think it's been a, a big reason for our success here is you know, thinking about the customer first. Um, that hasn't always been the case, right? So as any company grows, right, you, you know, if you're successful, particularly 
really a tech consumer facing brand, the the rite of passage or the way to success is by focusing on the customer, deliver what they he or she wants or or, or uh, needs, um, and then building around that. Um, but then you get to a certain point, particularly in a large company, that you're you're trying to drive revenue you're, um, and you're figuring out ways um, how to do shortcuts. Um, after a while, you start to you know think about the customer second, and where you can get in a real trap is not admitting where you, what I said actually didn't make a mistake, I said where you screwed up. Um, and so that's essentially the essence of innovation is one, because first is to be um, customer first, to mm-hmm. think about what the customer needs. Second is to be willing to fail, right? And then be able to recognize that failure. Um, but third, most importantly, is to then how do you learn from that failure? Because I think that's one of the quotes I had. I'm not going to be able to get it right right now. Um, was Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM? If you want, he said, if you want to increase your success rate, then double your failure rate. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was trying to get across. So, and the other thing was just to humanize, you know, me as as um, someone else up there, not trying to uh, again um, take myself and the company too seriously, but just be more of a thought partner. Well, and you know what do I what I love about this is it does humanize. Um, you, you know, I think this day and age, especially with social media, when everybody is accustomed to seeing the best parts of people's fake lives, um, to to just kind of perpetuate the message of, you know what, screwing up, that's totally a thing. And like you said, it's essential for innovation. I think these days, and, and I'm curious to get your take. I mean, these days people think innovate and they automatically think they have to come up with something new. Oh, it's, it's gotta be something that didn't exist. It reminds me of, you know, back in my high, early high school days, radio, maybe it was elementary school radio had emerged onto the scene and everyone was like, Oh my goodness. Like I've never heard this, but totally new sound, you know, like I, that's the way in my memories, that's the way everybody sounded in, in elementary school. But but so they go, oh, my goodness, you know, that's that's something that never existed before. That sound never existed. And I remember being I'm going to say like seventh or eighth grade when I was really brought into Radiohead being like, really? Guitars never existed before. Like, wh- what are you talking about? And yeah, and I think especially this day and age. So, I mean, what's your take on that? I think is that what you're seeing? Do people feel too compelled to come up with something so completely new that they forget about everything they already have at their disposal? Yeah, absolutely. I think this innovation, right, or to innovate has got this um, this daunting kind of connotation to it, right? That you, what you said, right? Like you have to come up. It's like literally the creation of something new. It's breaking new ground. It's blue sky. Right? But what would you say, you know, is the most successful, innovative tech company right now? And I'll give you a hint. It's the highest value company, I think, on earth. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, of course, right? It's it's got to be. Well, shoot, Apple, it, right? yes, Apple. I almost said, wait, is it Google? No, it's Apple. Yeah, I th- of course, I think it's the Apple. most valued company on earth. Yeah, and so then, then you think, um, all right, so and and you you know iPod, right? Um, iPhone, um, you know the iWatch now or the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those, right? There's someone else, or there's another company that did a version of that before they did. Um, right. They just did a lot better, 
right? So they said, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to you know, just execute and really get it right. One of my other favorite quotes is, is Picasso. He said that um, <laughs> good artists borrow, great artists steal. So I think, <laughs> I think that's, that's an element I think um, you have to think about. It's not creating something new. It's, it's seeing that you're something that's out there and either borrowing it, emulating it, you know, um, making it your own um, mm -hmm. in a way that um, I think is going to um, uh, uh, grow and, and, and succeed based on what you need to do. So that's that's one, I think, you know, twist on it that I think people need to think about. And um, the other is, OK, you got to create something new. you got to build something new. Um, but I think the essence of innovation is just taking a different approach to something um, than you did before. Right. It's um, so you can innovate um, in everything every different type of aspect you know we you know at gumtree we think about that in our team now we've got a product and technology team we've got a, a marketing team that gets the gumtree brand out there we've got salespeople. we've got account managers analytics etc cetera, etc cetera. and all of them right should be thinking about how do we do your job differently to make it more effective right so what are the tools you know how to use your tools a bit differently to get the results more effectively is right. sort of put it in a, a generic way. And I think that applies to dealers as well. Like, you know, how can they use the data or the tools or the things that are available to them differently and more effectively than they have you know, had in the past? That is a form of innovation. Well, and, and you know, and it kind of circles all the way back to <clears throat> one of the first things you said, which is putting the customer first, caring about the customer, you can innovate inside of that, especially this day and age when, when so many people are um, dependent on software to build relationships and they're, they're failing miserably at it. So those therefore that can um, forget about all that stuff and perhaps go back to the grassroots of here's how to be a good person and here's how to show genuine care and concern for somebody else is innovating the to today's standards. They're innovating inside of the relationship game. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think what we found too, I'm not sure what you, you when you, what you took away from that session in um, in Australia and, and maybe some of the other sessions that you've done recently is when you talk to, to dealers, um, how often do they kind of break away from the, the, the normal daily routine um, and how they're doing things to sit down and have a conversation with some customers or to look at some of the data that's out there, like, you know, whether it be Google ratings or reviews and things like that, to really kind of go back to what the customers are saying. Um, and right, there was a question I think that someone asked around, um, you know, hey, like, you know, this this big dealer group down the road is starting to provide, like, was it a free car wash or something? Mm -hmm. or, or um, And then, you know, he really got caught up in, um, well, how do I do that and, and afford, you know, the things that the, the competitors are doing? But what I, what I saw from that was, well, hey, you're kind of emulating what someone else is doing to get more customers, but just because they're doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. Yeah. Um, again, what do your customers really want or what do they need? What are the pain points that you can actually, you know, address maybe differently than this, this, this guy down the street? Yeah. You know what it reminded me of? It, it reminded me of sitting in a parking lot, uh, in gold coast, hearing this agonizing blood squealing scream 
come from outside the car to realize it was like thousands of parrots or something like that. <laughs> and so, of course, we had to pull over and and take a look at this. And there's a point to, to, to your point. Um, when you look up and you see thousands upon thousands of parrots um, all flying in disarray, none looking like they're following the leader, that it kind of is a metaphor for what we do in the dealer world to, to your point, which is this guy saw somebody else doing it, chose them as a quote unquote leader to follow. And, and the funny thing is if we, if we figured out who that dealership was and you and I went in there, they'd be like, Holy crap, man. Like, how do I get out of the car wash game? I'm losing, <laughs> I'm losing money like crazy. And, and, and it's like those birds, right? Where we know birds traditionally, you know, the famous Canada geese who fly in the V formation who have a clear and distinct leader to follow. When I looked at those parrots and they're all kind of in disarray, like it was just like a colorful cloud of nothingness, nobody following any perceived leader. That's kind of what dealers are doing. They think, wait, they're, they're doing that. They must be leading the pack. And that dealer, they, they don't realize is looking at them saying, oh, but they give away cookies and they have a play place for children. They must be the leader. And and so everybody's following each other. Nobody knows who the actual leader of the pack is. And, and then we get these ambiguous reports from the OEM saying who's actually leading the pack as far as numbers are concerned, but maybe not in actual disruptive relationship or people caring or culture or good business practice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's funny you use that, um, that flock kind of uh, metaphor. Um, When I, so I, I um, came to Australia, as you can probably tell, I'm not originally from Australia. Don't, quite have <laughs> but um, um so i moved out here uh a little over five years ago um shortly after i got here um met up with um, a guy who runs um, a big investment um, company um, a lot of the specialty actually is, is looking at classified um, companies um, across the world but he was explaining to me some of the idiosyncrasies of um, australia and some of these are i think unique Australia. Some are actually, I think, just human nature, but maybe it's a bit more pronounced um, in down here, mm-hmm. down under. Um, <laughs> he called it the seagull, um, a seagull phenomenon, or something like that, where um, there is a flocking instinct a lot of times with um, Australian consumers. Where, like, you know, and so the idea is, like, you know, like if you've got, of course, this is a private equity guy, so this is his kind of metaphor. Like, you know, everyone's got their boat in the. In the in the pier or the harbor, and they don't want to be that one boat that all the seagulls decide to to sit sit over and, and, and crap on top of. Right. Um, <laughs> but the you know that the what the point he was trying to make is that there's a high degree of brand um, assimilation or loyalty that that consumers have, and actually small businesses when some you know it's more like a one sort of you know brand kind of rises to the top. Um, and then there's a kind of a flocky mentality. Well, hey, this is the place to go to. Um, so, you know, in the car world, you know, we see that um, specifically down here w- with car sales, and they've done a tremendous job of establishing leadership um, and uh, um, in the space. Um, and I think that uh, what we found to to be you know effective and maybe a point of differentiation um, is that you know. Gumtree, like Kijiji, for example, is an open platform. Um, and what we try to do is 
make it very open so the buyers essentially are connecting with sellers or dealers to find their cars, but then they can actually go directly to that dealer. They can call them, they can uh, click on their website, they can walk in, they know the location, so it's an open platform. Right. Now the challenge is though, is that a lot of the dealers don't take advantage of that um, as much as they can be. They're, they're not really monitoring their website, they don't really do their call tracking, et cetera, mm-hmm. because they're based on that sort of previous legacy of how things were done, right? They're just looking at the quote unquote leads that they get through their system. Like in the lead is only considered in a certain way. Like it's like a it's basically an email or message. And I think there's a huge opportunity to 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 change the way, you know, I think how you think about ROI, a dealer's ROI on on your advertising and to take a bit more control of uh, of your data. Yeah. Well and and you know what's interesting about this? Because it's, ah, man, it's always going to be this way, I think, in automotive, and I hope it doesn't. I hope people start waking up. I am a proponent of waking up. It, like, who cares? I would rather have 10 high-quality leads um, that I'm paying a predictable price for that also, inside of that predictable price, you know, helped grow my brand, like had the brand effect that nobody ever seems to care about these days than getting 10,000 um, really low, qu- like, I mean, here's the thing between you, me and the hundreds of thousands of others listening. Um, you, you know, I, I had a call this morning with uh, a company whose name I shall not mention, who is also in this game on, a, but maybe from a more social perspective. And um, I said, look, you know, we're not running these types of ads because we don't see the quality of leads there. And she basically said, yeah, you know, with, with those types of ads, we're, we don't see large quality of leads either. And then my direct response was, well, then why do you accept people's money for these things? And, and so, you know, you kind of have an interesting perspective here. What you're telling me, which I really love is, hey, it's not just about posting a vehicle. It's the fact that there is um, this all-encompassing brand awareness direct to your website. There's the ability for them to see who you are. That that information is not being withheld. Um, and, and so you have a greater effect perhaps to penetrate your market, even in things that maybe don't equate to quote unquote digital attribution, but that are still attributing business because of the residual effect they have of of awareness and and market penetration and you know all those sorts of things. So that's something that I really love. I, I mean in in your experience, because um, I, I mean, I, I think we all are trying to, I, I think honestly, when you started talking and people knew you were from Australia, they were trying <laughs> to hear the accent in your voice. And then they were just like, they, they went through a phase of, wait, do people there just sound like we do? <laughs> you know, you know? <laughs> um, and now they realize, no, dudes come from the States, has experience there and, and is now in Australia. Um, what are some of the things you've seen that are similar? What are you seeing that's extremely different? How can yeah. Australian dealers leverage that? Yeah, so I'll talk you know, from a personal experience. I think uh, Australia is very, you know, as an American or North American, you know, um, by the way, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, <laughs> I think I mentioned this when, uh, you know, we met up. I found what was really interesting when I moved over to um, uh, Australia was that, uh, you know, of course, they noticed the accent right away. And the first thing they ask is, oh, you know, which part of North America are you from? 
you know, and as American, I thought, that's an odd question. Like, you know, <laughs> I've never gotten asked that before. Like, you know, statistically, it's a 10 to one shot. I'm from the state. So and then you quickly figure out, right, that they they ask it that way because they don't want to insult you if you're Canadian um, and assume that you're American. <laughs> we, we ran into this and, and then we realized people could tell we were from Canada because apparently we have a kind of an Irish German Scottish accent. And so now as I'm replaying all of the conversations my wife and I had with um, people in, down under, we realized that all, we opened our mouths and we could have been talking about like, metabolic like something like super smart sciencey sounding but all they heard was i me lucky charms they're magically delit <laughs> like we were just like had the, we were just like frolicking through the meadow and like hugging unicorns and princesses and griffins so that's that's a great thing then you're you're in good you're in good uh, company yeah, right? because a- uh that is the accent to have actually down here in Australia if you don't have an Australian accent. Really? Irish and or Scottish. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. M- maybe Those when I the- you know, if I come back down there I'll I'll uh I'll just walk around and say, How how we doing today? You know, like try and just really put it on. Me me from Canada, me me frolicking through the meadow, you know. <laughs> you will be, you know, You'll be walking down red carpet everywhere you go. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Um, I, I got to do that. So, yeah. so the so, big difference, right, is it, aside from not wanting to offend everyone, is, yeah. I, I mean, what are you seeing? Well, I, I think, uh, um, okay, I'll start from a personal um, perspective. As an American coming over, right, it, it, you know, it's a, um, it's a very easy place to move to, right? It, 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 I moved from the East Coast to the States, um, you know, grew up in, in Rhode Island, near, um, you know, uh, the Boston area in Rhode Island, um, New York, and then moved over to San Francisco. And then, you know, being in California, I think it was actually a very easy transition to go over to Australia because um, I think Australia in a lot of ways is very California-esque. Um, it's got you know, beach, yeah. you know, lifestyle. It's, it's relatively laid back. Um, so, and then also it's, it's, it's extremely modernized, right? Um, it's very Western. Um, so the, the cultural differences are very subtle, but they're there. Um, and then you discover them, you know, the longer you live, um, live here and sort of, um, get a feel for it. But you actually, I think hit it, um, pretty spot on in that blog post that you, um, that you wrote, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, right after, right after a trip. Mm-hmm. And I think the big things that, that, um, that pop out are, um, you know, there is this, that no worries kind of, uh, culture. Like, you know, it's really nice cause it, it, you know, people are accessible. Um, they're not overly intense. There's a, you know, a little bit laid back. Um, and so, um, they're, you know, they take things seriously and like, you know, they do things and like, you know, at work and, and are very, you know, ambitious and about what, um, how they think about their, their business, for example, but they don't take themselves too seriously, right? right? And they don't, and so, so that's I think the subtle difference. There's a whole um, saying about you know, or, or uh, 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 the syndrome, or however you want to call it, about knock the, the tall poppy down. Right. So um, I think that's a plays a, a, a big factor in, in Australian culture. I think the other things that are that are unique um, as well are um, it's actually um, a pretty early adopter type of um, market, you know. GDP per capita is one of the highest in the world. Um, the technology penetration is, is pretty strong. Um, digital advertising 
actually digital advertising per capita is the highest in the world. Wow. So um, that speaks to, I think, how advanced and, um, uh, I guess, um, progressed the market is in terms of, you know, digitally marketing your business and the, the things that are available out there for, for, for businesses to be able to um, drive uh, return back. Um, so I think those are, those are um, very unique things about Australia. But then everything else is, is very, very similar, right? You know, essentially basic human needs don't differ too much um, among countries, particularly more you know, Western countries where you've got similar culture and um, you know, economies. Mm-hmm. So buying and selling of things that you need for your life, um, uh, you know, dealer, you know, the, the, the dealer sort of views on things and, and um, you know, the, the pain points are, are, are very, very similar. Um, you know, I think that uh, you've got a lot of consolidation happening in the, in the dealer side. Um, you've got some, you know, it's harder to sometimes, you know, deliver the same margins that you did in the past. Right. Um, and in Australia and specifically, like, you know, some of that extra margins coming from, uh, you know, financing are, are being squeezed a bit with some regulatory changes. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of that stuff is very similar. Um, but, um, yeah, so there's both, you know, both unique aspects culturally, but also a lot of similarities that are, I think, universal. I said to my wife, driving through the streets of Sydney for as many days as we did, I said, you know what, man, if I lived here, I would I would go gangbusters on promoting my service department because there's no way side swiping doesn't happen here. Like the streets were so narrow. <laughs> I felt I felt like I could have enterprise rent a car could have given us a unicycle and I still would have felt like people were like right up on me. Um but yeah, you, so you know true. what? It's, so, so you're, you know, sentiments, the buying journey sounds like it's very similar. So let me ask you this. I mean, from the perspective of, and in a day and age, I guess, when everybody is like, show me the shiny object, we're like a bunch of freaking fish. We just like to see that shiny thing dangling in the water and we open our mouths re- ready to just swallow it whole in this day and age when that's kind of how our attitude and behavior is. And, and in a market, like the Australian market where, you know, you said early adopter and, and, um, you, you know, the, those sorts of things. How do we, um, I, I guess what's the creative approach to, or the valuable approach to it, to classifieds when that's kind of the one thing digitally that has been around this whole time? Like the, the bedrock of, I guess, digital advertising for me kind of comes in that classified concept because it was one of those things that so quickly transcended the traditional print era marketing strategy and quickly went online. And it's interesting to me that no matter how many things change, it's the one thing that's still around to this day. So how can how can dealers amidst constant change and all those sorts of things leverage a classifieds marketing approach? to to i guess enhance their uh penetration in the market especially if it's a cluttered market yeah um yeah classified right you're, you're right so it's, it's it's this kind of digital constant you could say it's just a, a media constant it's a life constant because you know classifieds have been around since papers for for generations and then it made the digital leap and craigslist was um probably the the you know, the innovative kind of like, you know, catalyst that started a lot of that. Right. But you're right. It's like, you, know, you look at classifies, the fundamentals of what it is, you know, this is not rocket science. It's not something that's, you know, um, 
came out of the blue. Um, it's a very simple premise, right? It is just advertising things that um, for sale or for rent or for hire, et cetera, um, you know, individual things um, versus, let's say, you know, advertising a company or bit, you know, or, or something like that. Um, so it's it's so why does it work? Why is it still like we look at actually across all the different markets in the world and you know classified sites or brands, they're still consistently rank up in the top ten or twenty you know in each of those markets, right? So in Australia we're a top twenty website, um, so ranking often number one as a number one shopping app. Um, right. And the reason why that is is because um, it goes back to you know bring it back to the customer, bring it back to you and me. Um, is it's a, it's essentially an extension of managing your life, right? So, um, you know, we find on, on Gumtree that the, the the most common use case the reason why people are using Gumtree or they're using you know Kijiji up in Canada or what have you, is because they are essentially managing their their life needs. We actually our vision that we say down in Australia is we want to be the Australia's favorite local marketplace for all of life's needs. So you use a gum tree when, um, let's say, you start off and you're going to university, right? And you need to, you know, um, get some more furniture, maybe get a car. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, you're, you're graduated. Now you get, you know, find a, find a job. You're moving into a new town, right? And then you've got to get, you know, find a house and, and furniture to, you know, build up that house. And then each of those key life moments, right? You know, get married, have kids, Kids at some point they grow up, they outgrow essentially their their toys. You got to get a bigger car, all of these things, right? Like you know, that's why you're coming back um, as like you know your life companion or sort of a you know, life manager right. to something like a gum tree. So um, to your question in terms of um, how do you know dealers think about a classified? Um, I'd say we, we think about a couple different ways. I think one is, you know, do you have a horizontal or general classifieds, which is like a gum tree? You've got a vertical classifieds, which is, you know, um, specific to a particular category. We've done a bit of both where we've got um, this horizontal experience or general experience, many different categories, but then we've actually built out the cars categories to, to also attract um, more sophisticated car buyers and, and to also deliver the kind of, you know, car shopping type of needs that uh, car buyers have. So how do dealers need to think about, I think one, they, you know, if they've got um, maybe disillusions or misperceptions on um, um, that the buyers or the people on, on classifieds are, are not that serious, I think that needs to be reevaluated because you've got people who are very serious about managing a life and getting a new car for their family. And so there's tons of potential value that I think can be reaped on a a platform like ours. And I think the other thing, which I mentioned before, is our platform, other classified platforms like ours are open, right? We're Mm -hmm. in the business of just connecting buyers and sellers, no matter who those sellers are. We try not to get in the way too much, right? That's where, you know, start to create friction and you're not empowering the customer. So again, the opportunity for dealers is to use that platform to tap into that that huge potential demand that's there, um, and then also to be able to see all the the types of leads that they're getting, whether it be phone calls or, or clicks on their uh, dealer websites, et cetera. Right. You, you know, and that that's one of the things that really stands out to me. I, I love that you said this because 
when you look at a, a classified site, it, it's, it serves a very, very specific purpose. Um, I'm not going there to, you know, keep in touch with my friends. I'm not going there to um, look at low lit photos of people's dessert that they took at some like weird outdoor, you know, knockoff Mexican restaurant and then photo filtered it to make it look like they were in some ritzy, like cool alleyway in, in, you know, Sydney, you know, I go there because in some way, shape or form, I'm interested in purchasing a product and I've arrived at a place in my, my purchase journey that I am now looking to see what's available. Um, and so it serves a very specific need. And so there's never been a time where the mission of these types of sites and platforms such as yours have shifted its focus. It's always served that specific purpose and, and the indoctrination or the penetration level of that indoctrination in the general market is such that they know, uh, finding things to buy. This is where I go for that. And so there's no need to, um, further kind of perpetuate or, you know, I've said, I know I've said that word a lot, but it's really the best word to describe like just that flowing effect of I know where to go when I need something. And so for me, that's huge. You look at business titans like Gary Vaynerchuk, who we've had on the show and Grant and, and you know, Jill Conrath and just a slew of others. And they are huge proponents of follow the attention, go where the people are. When I was a teenager, the 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 dudes that thought they were cool hung out in the 7-Eleven parking lot. I was clearly never that cool. Um, I also didn't wear undershirts um, <laughs> as my main, you know, uh, I, I can't even remember what they called them back then, but those, t- those kind of like muscle looking shirts. Um, and uh, also didn't like my butt hanging out of my jeans. So, um, but, but they went to where the attention was because that's where everybody was going. That's where the, the cool people were. Even earlier than that, it was like, um, it, it, you know, I mean, it, it, well, we won't get into that. We're not, we're not going to bore you today with, um, Michael's weird, sheltered, innocent, uh, past and the observations therein. but you know, it's go where the attention is. It's a distribution mm-hmm. thing. And so as a business person, you need to go where the distribution is. Like if I owned a dealership, I'm telling you right now, a brilliant marketing approach would be to say, um, you, you know, put, However many vehicles, maybe it's my entire inventory. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to put my entire inventory on the platform for distribution, for eyeballs. Um, And then what I'm going to do on my own website is I'm actually going to put a Gumtree specific promotion on my website. And maybe that's like, hey, saw it on Gumtree. You qualify for the $9.99 oil change. And now, some people might be thinking, oh, well, you know, I, I can't get away. Like, I'll make no money. My service department's going to complain because $9.99 doesn't cover the cost. And it's like, stop. You're spending how much money right now by buying unqualified leads from abc.com.au that you have to filter through that, by the way, are being sold to several hundred other dealers um, this way. You create an attribution, a very simple attribution model. Hey, saw this vehicle on Gumtree? Cool. Um, you qualify for a $9.99 oil change. Guess what, uh, ABC Motors in uh, Brisbane? That is probably one of the cheapest 
leads you'll buy. Now that person's a customer for $9.99 and you can shift the way you talk to them. And also now know for a fact that people are coming to you from Gumtree and, and utilizing that method. And so now you have a clear understanding of how people are coming to your website and, and, and reaching out to you beyond maybe even some of the things that you or I, Martin, could think of. But it's like, those are the creative things that you can do to to really get a grasp and leverage those platforms, those eyeball distribution methods to win in your market. Because guaranteed, if you're listening to this, um, no other dealer has the time, has the willpower, has the creative resources to even think about doing, thinking through or implementing any idea that, that goes to that effect. Yeah. So that's my yeah, two was, cents. Uh, yeah, that's great. I think, um, <laughs> Mike, yeah, drop, peace out. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> the Cirillo rant for the day. <laughs> Well, so so I think exactly, and I think that uh, you know another way to think about it is that um, you know we all like I even see this in our business as well when we look at how we actually market and we try and get um, more customers to Gumtree. Right, you can get caught into the trap of, of thinking very transactionally. Right, so you're going to try to to pay for that visit or for that transaction, and that's that's important to be able to to follow the money to be able to understand okay how much was that cost per sale, how much was the cost per transaction, but at the same time you can't forget. That like you're not really acquiring at the uh, or getting the transaction per se. You're actually you know acquiring or getting a customer, right? And that customer can come back and they can you know buy other things. They can of course buy the car, but get the financing, come back for service, come back for the next car, right? So that's really important is that to 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 think about more of the customer acquisition and how do you actually do that and what are the things you need to do um, around that. And the other thing to your other point in terms of going where the attention is, and that was the, the one of the fun things for me in my job is, and hopefully this is, <laughs> hopefully, and I'm going to say this ironically, this isn't fun for very long. Um, but one of the fun things is that you know going to dealers and going to conventions like these, I often quiz them to to see how many cars they think are up on Gumtree, or how many p- car buyers come to Gumtree every month. Um, and no one gets it right. Um, they're just way far off. Um, and so there's a huge sort of, um, I think, opportunity for dealers to discover really where the, the attention is, where are these um, efficiencies that they should be going after, where the demand really is. So, um, And I did a little bit of math earlier um, just out of curiosity because I was like, okay, well, how big is this Australian market in terms of the number of cars sold and how, how do we represent or how, how are we fit into that? So there's actually about 3 million used cars sold every year in Australia. Mm. Um, we have about 6,000, at least 6,000 cars, used cars listed every day. That's 180,000 per month. That's over 2 million per year. So, you know, obviously it's a little bit of apples to oranges, but 2 million cars posted every year, 3 million sold. We're, Holy we're balls. batting our fair share in yeah. terms of, you know, overall transactions. So, um, yeah, that's the first time I've actually realized that stat, but it's, it's pretty impressive. Whoa, man, that, that's like th- those numbers are like to the point where you ask somebody and they don't know. So they just start making up numbers that don't exist. 
Like, the, <laughs> yeah. like 260, 90, 43. <laughs> You're like, no, dude, 2 million. <laughs> That's, a, I mean, well, and especially what's the population of Australia? It's like 20 something million, 25 million. Yeah, tw- 24 million. And uh, yeah, and then you think about how many are actually online. It's closer to 19 or 20. Holy smokes. Um, and how many people would be in the market for a car. So it's uh, quite a bit. Holy smokes. I was going to say, you, you said you did math, and I was like, oh, that's why he sounds tired today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wiped now. Oh, that's man. That's all I got. Well, I mean, th- th- those, are some, those are some interesting numbers, and I think so many people, especially this day and age, they're like, well, man, how do you validate the numbers, and how do you do these sorts of things? I mean, the way I see it, um, you know, and, and obviously disclaimer for those listening, I'm not getting paid to say any of this. It's just from my own experience, man. You, you, you know, when you look at a full funnel marketing strategy and where, um, the customer's journey takes them, you cannot, you, you definitely cannot put 100% of the credit on last click attribution. No, you just can't do that. And, and trust me, I'm telling you right now, if you have a potential um, service provider, a quote unquote vendor that's saying, Oh yeah, we, we did this and that's just the way it is. And you can give us all the credit, dude, put on your best sneakers and run for the Mount Kutha run for the Hills, man. Like you gotta, you gotta just take things for what they're worth. When, when we look at Google studies and I'm sure it's pretty similar, if not exactly the same in Australia, when we look at them and we see that there's an average of between 24 and 26 different touch points that the customer takes in their their path to purchasing a vehicle, it's incumbent. It's so important for that marketing manager, for whoever's making the marketing decision to understand accurately and clearly what effect certain touch points have on shaping a customer's experience. And I'm going to tell you right now, we put so much of our efforts on things that will generate the last click. Um, if we started divvying up our marketing spend and uh, across the marketing spectrum on those different touch points, um, you're going to increase your close rate, especially your, not only are you going to increase your um, appointment to show rate, you're going to increase your show to close rate because um, simply because you essentially took that customer by the digital hand in the moments that mattered most helped with value shape their purchase decision, they're going to come and buy from you, period. That's the way it works. Yep. Martin, man, thanks so much that for joining great. me. I, I, you know, I say this on every episode. I could talk about this all day. As it turns out, I literally don't have all day because it's evening for me. It's uh, morning for you have all day. I don't have all day. <laughs> um, but so glad you could join me on the show, man. Where can those um, that have more questions get in touch with you? Um, where can they get in touch with me? Well, um, that's a great question. I'm on LinkedIn, Martin Herbst. Um, if they want to reach out that way, um, mherbst at ebay.com is my email. Um, so open to anyone who's interested and you can check out gumtree.com.au any, any, anytime you want. Mm-hmm.